Hello. Hi, is that Mark? Yes. Hi, Mark. It's Cassie at Triple M. How are you? Hello, Cassie at Triple M. Hold on. I'm just going to move rooms. <laughs> um, now, first off, I just want to say I'm originally from the Central Coast, New South Wales. You poor thing. <laughs> hey, I got out. I'm in Melbourne now. And oh. I, I remember listening to you on our local radio station there, 2GO, and I yes. would love it. I'd be working this very boring job in a florist, listening yeah. to the radio, just wanting to get out of that town, and listening to your stories of, of rock and roll and chatting about your friends. It yeah. was the highlight of my day. Well, what a boring day you must have had. Um, but I say that because I'm being falsely humble. Look, I love doing radio. You know, I'm looking forward to doing it again, but you know, the opportunity always has to present itself, you know, and it's like culture time and all that kind of stuff. And then people go, hey, you want to do a radio show? And I go, sure, because I love doing it, right? But I axed my own show because I got sick of talking about uh, music that was 30 years old because it was the awesome 80s. And I go, I can't keep talking about 10 years of musical history. So I axed it, even though I love doing it. It was so much fun. I just went, no, I won't be coming back next to you. And, you know, I miss it and I go in every now and then and do it, but I'm glad you enjoyed it. I loved it, Mark. And well, Thank you. So how long did you do that show for? I did it for two years. That's a long time. It's every day. It's five days a week. That's a long yeah, well, time. That's the thing also, you know, because radio doesn't pay a fortune, particularly, you know, that kind of radio. Um, and, and it was a big commitment. You know, was having to go in every day. You've got to research, get up six in the morning and do the research for you know, that particular day. and But look, I had a ball because I just love getting on air and talking drivel, you know, and, you know, trying to bend the rules a bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, but look, I loved it. Well, I'm glad you liked it. You know, that's like, you know, really wonderful, you know, and here you are working for the Osterio Network. That's exactly right. <laughs> got the same and boss. You got, you got out of being a florist. I did. I did indeed. <laughs> That's amazing. And got out of the Central Coast. Yeah. Well, don't, well, I'm, you know, obviously still here. I love it. I don't want to go back. You're in Melbourne, though. I don't want to. I don't mind Melbourne. I don't want to live in Sydney. I hate Sydney. And what what drew you to the Central Coast? Um, I live at Hardy's Bay. You know, yep. Kilcare? Yes. Yep. Know it. That's why I love it so much. It's beautiful. Yes. Do you get out and see many bands on the Central Coast because I've noticed particularly the country scene and I, I'm correct me if I'm wrong but you've got some sort of connection to the country scene there yeah I uh, sleep with all the um, uh, the country people up here <laughs> um, you know even if they're dead I still sleep with them um, but no I, my, my partner's Melinda Schneider um, fabulous country singer and uh, you know so I've met them all the weird punch they are too well, the rock and rollers are strange, but the country people are really quite peculiar. <laughs> I love them. You know, well, there's some weirdos in there. Uh, but I just love them because it's got nothing to do with rock and roll, so I just grab, get them in headlocks and go, I love you, you little bastard. Come here. <laughs> do you get up and, and play many shows on the coast that are off the record? Because I know there's the sort of cats like Casey Chambers gets up and will do a, a local pub gig every now and again. Do you do that no. on this coast and, and do those sort of gigs where you, you don't have to be Mark Gable from the Choir Boys and you can just be a musician? There is a, an open mic night somebody's invited me along to and I think it's going to be next month or something. So I'm going to go along to that 
and I'm just going to do really abstract music, you know, like, you know, death, death to Trump, you filthy bomb, you know, stuff like that, you know. Um, of course, that's not true. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, the, <laughs> you know, I get up and I can be a little bit abstract and play songs that I wouldn't normally play instead of like doing a, yeah, you know, the music that I've been playing for 40 years, you can do something a little bit weird. Uh, and that'll be just about the first time I've ever done that. More of it, please. And I don't know where that is. It's at some surf club, you know? Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. And so you haven't done that sort of gig for 40 years. Like, surely you've done that in the early days. But, yeah, it's probably been 40 years since you've done such an impromptu off the record. You don't have to play Run to Paradise. Well, yeah, but, you know, there are times, you know, that's what I love with um, every now and then, very rarely I get up with Melinda and do something um, and it's not Run to Paradise. You know, it'll be like, you know, a duet with her, like one notable duet called Still Here that she did with Paul Kelly, mm-hmm. um, which is a fabulous song, and I get up and do that with her. Um, and that's wonderful because it's something out of the box. Right? And we were also doing a thing up here at... at um, at Kilkerra at Hardy's Bay called um, uh, The Shower Singers. And it was, we just, you know, community choir and we just play a whole bunch of songs that are really off the wall and from way back and, you know, whether it's the 50s and 40s and 60s and 70s. And, you know, that's always exciting because after playing your own music all your life, you get to play other people's music. It's a real buzz. I bet, I bet. Um, now, that is a great segue to chat to you about the choir boys revisiting the ACDC classics, or I guess particularly celebrating Bon Scott. Now, this is something that you did a couple of years ago, and it's had such a great response. You're back on the road. You've been doing a few shows. You've still got a few more in the bag. Why? Yes. I guess Bon Scott is, it, it's hard to ignore the fact of him being the best frontman that we've ever seen. So as an already established band such as the Choir Boys, what drew you to to go on and, and take it back and pay tribute to, to Bon Scott? Well, yeah, we formed in the 70s, right? Now, we formed, uh, when did we form? Like, it was 76 we started, but, you know, ACDC started three years before that. Um, and they already did a, you know, doing amazing things even at that point. Um, because of their connection, you know, the young brothers, Malcolm, Malcolm and Angus's brother, George, was already in with Albert's production. So he and his partner, Harry Vander, were already producing, starting to produce their stuff. So they were already on a roll. And, you know, back then we didn't take them too seriously, right? Because <laughs> you see them on Countdown, he was a boy in a schoolboy uniform. And the singer, you know, was often, well, on one occasion, was dressed as a girl with pigtails, mm-hmm. right? And you sort of go, yeah, well, they're interesting, aren't they? You know, they're a funny little band. Um, but, you know, they just hammer and hammer and hammer away. And we ended up signing to the Alberts label and recorded in the same studio that they did their first five or six albums in. And we worked with uh, Vander and Young and the whole Alberts team. And so it was kind of in our blood. So we were, you know, having grown up with ACDC with our early part of our music, you know, having them on air on television on Countdown all the time and what have you, uh, sounds unlimited on the Saturday morning. And then, you know, to be in the same studio was just, you know, monumental and had a big impact on us. And let's face it, they, 
ACDC really invented pub rock. And, you know, we are exponents of pub rock because we grew up in the pubs like they did, the pubs in Australia. Um, and I, I think, you know, there are lots of bands out there that do ACDC. You know, there are lots of bands that do ABBA. There's lots of bands that do Celine or people that do Celine Dion or Madonna or whatever, right? We are the, the tribute um, uh, band or artists um, uh, capital of the world, and we get laughed at a lot by overseas people. There are heaps of people that do ACDC. There, there's nobody that was there at the time who grew up in the same kind of environment and who are the same age that are doing it and can do it the way that we believe that not so much it should be done, only ACDC could do that, you know, particularly when the original band was together, but can do it with that kind of thing that, you know, we were there and and we understand it with a, that whole ethos, if I'm making sense to you. You sure are. You sure are. And I guess now, you know, looking at ACDC and its current format, uh, if you can even call it that, do you feel that fans are connecting and wanting that old school Bond side of, of ACDC more than ever? Because oh, yeah, of- well, particularly in Australia, you know, because, like, Brian Johnson, uh, who replaced Bond after he died, was the, always the new guy. And, you know, Bond was... <laughs> He was, he was in ACDC for seven years, right? Um, but he's the singer, right? But the new guy, Brian John, he was only there for 40 years. <laughs> you know? so it's really pretty silly, you know, when you think about it. You go, wow, you know, we're almost 40 years. Um, but Bon is the guy. I mean, they're the, you know, they're the songs that Australia, you know, recognise, you know, Long Way to the Top and, you know, High Voltage and, you know, if you want blood and all that stuff, you know, um, they're the songs that we identify with and they're the songs that we know and we grew up with. Whereas everything after that, it might have sold more records, but it doesn't make as much sense to we Australians as what the Bon Scott era did. Because, all right, they're all immigrants, right? Um, you know, the, uh, Man- Angus and Malcolm, they came from Scotland and uh, and Bon came from Scotland. Um, and... Uh, you know, their bass player, their original bass player, Mark Evans, who's actually in a band with me, a throw-together band called The Dinosaurs, you know, he was born in Australia, right? And so was the drummer, Phil Rudd, who currently lives in New Zealand with a lot of helicopters and no teeth. Um, <laughs> and so, so, but we identified with this, you know, and I think that they really capitalised on the environment they they grew up in. And so Bon Scott was the guy, you know, he was the front guy and then you had the little boy in the schoolboy uniform, you know, running around doing crazy stuff. And so we identify with Bon. And even though Brian Johnson was good, it wasn't as good as Bon. You know, Bon was the dude. He was the dude. And do you think that's it, that that all of those Aussie music fans back in the day, they'd rock up to their local pub and they'd see this man who who was sexy but not necessarily good looking and they go, hey, he's he's like me, you know, he, he wears his jeans like me, he's got his cut-off shirt. He's just a regular bloke. Do you feel like that's why Australian audiences connected with Bon Scott more? I, I don't know about that because, you know, I, I guess even then I used to look at the display and go, here's a man who definitely dresses to the left, you know. Um, you, I've never seen jeans so tight, you know, even though I used to wear my jeans that tight. I go, wow, they're really tight, you know. Um, but uh, uh, Bon, I think they Australians identified with Bon because he didn't take anything seriously. Right, and you know that's the thing about Australians, mate. You know, she'll be right. Don't worry about it, mate. Just have a beer and have a laugh. You know, and that's what we like Bond. 
because he didn't take everything seriously. He just made fun of everything. And I think, I think personally, that's why we identified with him. But the girls loved him as well. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> if you like a, a guy with motley hair on his chest, he was really skinny and he was small, right? But, you know, and he, these jeans and his photos of him, you, <laughs> you, you, even if you, you just put in Bon Scott images and there's always uh, shots of Bon Scott on stage with tight jeans. <laughs> Ah, uh, the 70s. I've got to miss them. <laughs> now, uh, the Choir Boys will be performing or have been for- performing High Voltage and Highway to Hell. So the first and the last Bon Scott record that that ACDC did. I, I say Bon Scott record because I feel like it is his, but the ACDC records with Bon Scott. What's your favourite track of High Voltage? I th- It has to be Live Wire. Um, it's just... Um, an amazing song. I should be saying Long Way to the Top, right? Um, uh, but Live Wire has just got something about it because there's just... Bon was an amazing lyricist and if this is something that people probably don't understand as much as I think that they should is that he was an incredible lyricist. Sexist, very. Chauvinistic, yes. Um, but, you know, they were right, it was right for the times. But there's also this you know, tongue-in-cheek, intelligent kind of lyric twists in there that just amaze you at times. So I think Livewire, both musically, it's a, a piece of work. It's a, a, it's a piece piece of art, musically. Um, it's just an incredible song, the way it's structured. And so very, very ACDC. I love that. And what's the hardest to perform from High Voltage? Um, well, not any of them really, you know, because, um, I think that, well, actually, I think that she's got balls <laughs> because I have a whole lot of trouble, not so much singing that, but just the lyrics, as I said, they're very sexist and, you know, like I'm a man, I'm in charge, you're a woman, you only have one specific role. And I have, I come to odds with that because I'm actually a feminist, um, at heart. And so I have a real lot of trouble with the lyrics of that. But it does represent the history of the times, and so I have to do it. I am, after all, an actor. And is that how you approach this tour as, as a band? You, you step up there and you take on that role of, of passing on a message and passing on those stories of what ACDC was at that era? I think we're, we're just trying to pass on the energy and the ethos, right, that... Australians, and, and I asked Angry Anderson about this, so what is it about Australian guitarists that are so different than um, uh, American or English guitarists? Because they hit hard, you know, and I, that's a direct quote. And that's true. We hit hard. Because remember that we, didn't, we don't celebrate, or we used to not celebrate arts in Australia. We'd celebrate sport and beer drinking and, you know, other sorts of rec- recreational activity that I won't mention now. And so, we, you know, hitting hard was like it's a bloody beauty, mate, you know? Yeah, we know how to fight. We know how to hit hard. And so that all kind of made sense. And it's like that's what we're trying to emulate is that the new modern era of musician, they don't have that anger and that angst. But I don't think anybody was angry, as, as angry as what ACDC were. Those young brothers, they could make a guitar louder than anybody else just by the sheer veracity in which they hit it. 
And you have been a key member of the pub music scene for the last 40 years. What has what have you noticed that's changed in the pub scene in Australia? Oh, it's been very dramatic. And it, you know, the pub scene has been legislated against. Um, no smoking in pubs, you're not allowed to drink too much, you're not allowed to uh, drink drive, you... Uh, uh, noise pollution is an issue. Um, uh, over overcrowding, overcrowding, licensing laws. Um, so all of these factors have changed the pubs, and also with the, uh, the advent of the poker machine. Um, and so, if venues wanted to keep on operating live music, which used to be a fairly cheap process uh, back in the day, they have to soundproof. Uh, they have to make sure that the patrons behave themselves. They've got to leave at a certain time. They cannot go and defecate in somebody's backyard or front yard, the next door neighbours. Um, and they can't attack letterboxes or pet dogs or things like that. Um, and so I think that uh, with the, the legislation against uh, pub live music uh, and the advent of the poker machines, um, it's it's brought about an end to live music as we used to know, or at least pub rock as we used to know in Australia. I don't think it'll ever come back. Um, I think that the new way to perform is on YouTube and via the internet. Um, and live music is something that almost belongs, you know, in the pubs as it used to be, almost belongs back in the day when things were in black and white and people used to drive manual cars. You know, it's <laughs> it's something from the bygone era um, and it's lucky that I grew up in that time I wouldn't like to be an up-and-coming musician now and do you find that with this run of shows that you're doing you are playing some of those really classic pub rock venues it wouldn't be the first time you've played a lot of these venues you're hitting up well yes I mean you know like uh, for instance you know this this weekend we're doing Wentworth Leagues um, on the Saturday night and I don't think we've done that. Now, I did say leagues, right? Um, but the weekend before, we did the Edamoga pub. Um, and it was a pub, and it was a real pub crowd, and it was a really pub response to the whole thing. You know, we're also doing the DY Hotel on Saturday night. I'm sorry, the DY RSL. Um, and, and that's the other thing, is that what we, the pub we used to, to do at DY was the DY Hotel. And it was the first night time that I ever saw the Divinals or Divinals was in the DY Hotel at DY on a Tuesday night. On a Tuesday night, I saw Divinals, right? And so, you know, it's like um, these venues have gone now. I think that's now a Woolworths, right? Um, but the DY RSL is still going, and it, it these are the places where you can still have live, original, or interesting music. Uh, but all the other stuff is gone. But, yeah, you know, we a lot of the places, the Etamoga, for instance, we... We'd never done that before. So it was a, a revelation to do that and find a pub that still had live music. I bet. Now, you were around in that time. You, as a band, you did rub shoulders with ACDC. What's your favourite memory of Bon Scott? I never met Bon Scott, no, because by the time we started at Alvis, which was really 1978, they'd gone overseas. But I met all the other guys, right? Um, and... Uh, it was a very short conversation with Angus Young. Um, but it was my favourite memory is going up to the pub with Malcolm Young and and talking about <laughs> talking about 
you know, how to deal with record companies and things like that. And, you know, Malcolm was a great guy, you know, really had some great advice. You know, subsequently I've become really good friends with his son um, and he's a great guy as well. Uh, but Malcolm, of course, is not well. But uh, just hanging in the pub and, you know, Malcolm giving me advice, you know, going, how old are you? And I'd tell him and he goes, well, you need to hurry up, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I go, well, thanks for that, you know. And he goes, as soon as you start selling records, get all the money off the record company before they can get their hands on it. Advance it straight away. I go, okay. <laughs> and this is, just a, this is just after Back in Black had gone, like, number one all over the world. So Malcolm would have been advancing a lot of money from his record companies. Absolutely. And that, that advice is, is invaluable. Now, you said that you're friends with his son. Yes, does he give you much feedback back on how Malcolm is going? Because it's quite a private topic and as yeah, music well that, fans. Yeah. The whole thing is that I got into, sorry to interrupt that, no. you know, Kathy, but I got into a lot of trouble because um, Malcolm's son, I won't mention his name, posted something on Facebook right, and, um, and with the, uh, uh, the ABC actually that called me up and said, you know, what, what do you know about Malcolm Young? And I, I gave them the word and I gave them the word about what his son had said. And it went all over the world. And so I don't like to talk about him too much. And as I said to his son, I said, look, I won't mention anything you say, but I will say this, right? Uh, to this point, Malcolm appears to be doing good, you know, from what I know. But don't take that as gospel. <laughs> but um, this is very private, yes. Um, uh, and, you know, after learning a lot more about him, you know, I kind of wish that I hadn't said that. But, you know, uh, not to you, but to the ABC. Um, because his son is a really great guy. I love him to death. And, uh, you know, I, I wish Malcolm all the best. Now, we will um, wrap this part of it up because I could talk to you for hours, I feel, about, about ACDC and, and your love for it. Now, the stage show is one thing, but you've got such knowledge, such passion and such enthusiasm about this band and, and their importance to the Australian pub rock scene. Do you reckon you'd ever put it down in, in paper? Well, uh, there is talk of a book at this time, um, uh, but it's not a book about me, uh, only partly about me. I'm not really interested in doing a biography uh, because they bore me, particularly after reading, trying to read Pete Townsend from The Who. I don't know whether you know who that is. Um, yes. Of course. Of course <laughs> no, we, we only know Australian music here on Homegrown. We are ignorant to every other country. Well, you know, The Who had played in Australia, right? Um, and there's all these great stories that I want to impart about the things that I've seen and done. Um, uh, and oddly enough, um, ACDC would probably only spend a, a, a little bit of time in the book, um, you know, primarily because of our dealings with them have been minimal. But there's all the other bands that have been spawned really by ACDC, you know, the Angels and Rose Tattoo, um, and of course ourselves and, you know, a whole bunch of others that... Um, I think that ACDC have influenced that, you know, are well worth a mention in that. Um, uh, so there'll be cross-references all over the place as it goes on. Sounds good. Now, talking about the current pub scene, I know for one that when I go to a local pub that generally lacks original music and you do get a lot of the cover artists and a lot of musicians playing other people's songs. That in particular, I think I've heard Run to Paradise be covered most weekends <laughs> Yeah. Have you walked into a pub and you've had somebody else playing your song? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, on several occasions, you know, and on one um, uh, fabulous occasion, 
we'd actually uh, done a, it was either a birthday or a special event for Triple M in Brisbane. And we did it with Screaming Jets. And so Dave Gleeson and I went to, who's the singer from Screaming Jets, if you didn't know, um, went to some pub up in Brisbane. And as we, <laughs> as we walked in, the guy was playing, started to play Run to Paradise, just coincidentally. And I was drunk as a skunk. And so was Dave and everybody else. Right. Okay. So I get up on stage and I, give me the guitar, mate. No, no, stop. Give, <laughs> give me the guitar. And he didn't know who I was because fortunately for me, or unfortunately, um, since the 80s, I've become anonymous looking. People don't recognize me, which is great. So Dave, who's quite recognizable, had to go, it's all right, mate. It's all right. Give him the guitar. <laughs> so he gave me the guitar. And then I did Run to Paradise. And then he goes to Dave, he goes, Gee, that guy does it really well. <laughs> that sounds that sounds like the original. He goes, Dave, yeah. Dave goes, yeah. You reckon? Yeah. How about that? It's amazing. And I give him the guitar back. And then, and then off he goes with whatever else he's doing. Um, but apparently people have been in Bali, right, and they go they go up to these guys playing guitar. Can you do Run to Paradise? And they play Run to Paradise. And did this kid know who you were? Did, do you reckon that he, he still has no idea and he's probably going to – be in his car driving around Brisbane, turn on Triple M, as you do, being a rock music fan, and yeah. hear this chat and be like, oh, bugger. Well, I don't know, you know, whether he did know because he hasn't reported himself on Facebook to me. <laughs> he goes, you remember the guy in Brisbane, man, and back in, you know, 94 or 95, whatever it was, and, you know, you grab the guitar. I wish he'd front, right? The poor bugger. You know, feel sorry for him. You know, this drunk idiot getting up and grabbing his guitar. <laughs> Just give it here, mate. Give it here. Come on. Have <laughs> uh, you got your um your payment from APRA? Because that's a good way of knowing if he uh, knew if it was you or not. Well, it depends on whether he reports it or not. You know, and I think all you people playing Run to Paradise want you to report it twice a night, please. <laughs> that's it. You want to get a, buy an extra house or property, property prices are going up. Oh, yeah. I want to buy them when they're going down, baby. <laughs> now, Mark, you are an ambassador for Record Store Day this year, yes. which yes. is a huge deal. And, and I think it's something that's actually going to put your face back in the public in the public eye. You're saying that people don't really know your face from the 80s, but I have a feeling that this is really going to put your face out there because I've seen it plenty of times since this one's been announced. Yes. Now, it's a huge deal. Uh, tell me, I've just got some quick questions. What was the yeah. first record that you purchased? First record I purchased was with the Beatles, um, uh, which was an album, right, like in 64 or something. Um, and I purchased it from the record store down at Warringah Mall um, in Brookvale. And uh, it was just amazing, you know, to take this record home and play all these songs that I hadn't heard yet because all I'd heard you know, with the Beatle hits, right? But to play, uh, actually play a record at home and, you know, because I was mad about the Beatles, it was just the most exhilarating experience ever, you know, and, and, and you know, they <laughs> unlike CDs, and I know that um, uh, discs have, have made a resurgence, um, you know, LPs have made a resurgence over the last few years, which is a great thing. You know, I even spoke to a young guy who was 21 at, some, at the gig on Saturday and he said that, all he does is buy uh, LPs and play them on a turntable. Um, but it has all this information on it. You know, there's all this stuff on the back and photos and, you know, who produced this and who wrote that and da-da-da-da-da. And it's all so big and beautiful. Uh, it, it was an amazing time. And 
we didn't know any better because there was no such thing as the internet, no such thing as downloads, uh, and the way that you, you got music was to go and purchase it like you had to buy a pair of shoes <laughs> and take it home and enjoy it. And what it was a remarkable was, time. What was the first Australian record you purchased? The first Australian record I purchased would have been um, uh, the Easy Beats and it would have been uh, She's So Fine, I think, the single. Yep. Um, because I just loved the Easy Beats. Um, and for me, they sounded just as good, if not better, than any overseas band. Um, an, act- an actual matter of fact that all the guys in the band were, um, uh, you know, imported from overseas anyway. Now, they're all immigrants, and they all met at the Villawood Hostel, uh, immigrant hostel in the 60s and 50s. And so that's how they started the band. So I just thought they were an incredible band. So that was the first record that I ever bought that was Australian. Excellent. What's your favourite record today? Uh, Wow. Oh, my favourite record. You know, I I would have to say right at the moment, I'd have to say High Voltage by ACDC because I've listened to it so much and I've played it. Uh, we've played it. We've been doing this tour for about a month now and I, and I do it like three, three nights a week on stage and I just love every second of it. It's just, you know, just an amazing, amazingly crafted album. Um, so I'd have to say that that, that is my favourite album. Or... The Who's album, Who's Next, which shows a, a picture on the front of them just having urinated on this great big obelisk. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's the, the, what's on the album cover. <laughs> and what is your favourite record to give as a gift? Oh, um, I think that what was the last time I gave uh, was Hats by, I can't remember what they're called, um, Da, da, da. I'm going to have to do some googling here, um, you know, just to because I it was a long time ago um, album. Uh, let's see what comes up here. Right. So I'm sorry about this. That's video. fine. Uh, the Blue Nile. There you go. And the last I, I gave it to somebody in 1994. And, and you know what? You know what they said. I gave this is a CD. And she said, I don't have a CD player. <laughs> and these days you get that same response, but it's just the, uh, it's the opposite because they don't, they just stream everything. There's a what? People don't have CD players these days either. No, they don't. It's come no, full it's, circle. <laughs> it's all, um, all MP3s, you know, and it's like, and I, I love modern technology. You know, we don't, I didn't have a turntable here and I really should get one, but I'm just not a retro guy. I'm just old <laughs> or I'm not old. I'm just retro. So not having a turntable but still possessing records, for you is it the memory and the visual side of things that you appreciate? Oh, it's the, you know, the music, you know, and it's like falling out of love with the Beatles and then falling in love with uh, Jimi Hendrix and then falling out of love with Jimi Hendrix and falling in love with um, Creedence Clearwater and then, you know, the list goes on and on. You know, and used to buy all these records and, you know, we'd go around to people's places and sit around with records and put them on the turntable and all look at the album covers, you know, and it was like, and then talk about it and philosophise about what it all meant 
you know, listening to Cat Stevens, you know, and, uh, with a friend of mine, I'm trying to learn all the guitar parts, you know, it was like just an incredible time. Um, and it was a magical time to be around for, for music. It was uncomplicated. It seemed like it was summer every day. We were listening to all these incredible, you know, bands, Credence Clearwater, as I said, you know, Cosby Sills, Nash Young, and, you know, and then um, uh, Neil Young and, you know, Harvest and all these great albums. And I remember all these album covers laying all over the ground everywhere. And it was just, you know, people just sitting around listening to all these records and, you know, and having a, such a huge impact on our lives. It was incredible. And what's the latest modern artist you've, you've supported or what's the last, the most recent record that you've, that you've had? Look, I, people are going to hate me for this, right? But I really love um, uh, Bruno Mars. I think he's a great songwriter, right? And also, um, I, uh, I've really loved uh, the Black Keys or Black Keys. I just thought they were an incredible band, you know, um, just really uh, just original sounding and very, very retro and very real. Uh, and so, you know, there too, what I love about Bruno Mars is I just think that he's a, a great songwriter. If I mention him on Facebook, people go, fake, criminal, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I don't think he's, I think he's really great. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, uh, Black Keys, uh, are just incredible as well. Love them. Excellent, excellent. I'm a huge Bruno Mars fan. I make no secret of it whatsoever. <laughs> well, he's the, look, he's really the replacement for Michael Jackson. Yeah, I agree. Uh, he's not as great a songwriter. He's not a good dancer, but he's bloody good, you know, and he's, the core elements are there. He writes great songs. He's a good singer, and he doesn't rely on so much junk, you know. He's just a really clever guy. Yeah, I agree. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you, Mark. It's you know, just one of those things off my bucket list as well, you know, going back to, to that time of me having that boring job, living in a small town, thinking I'm never going to get out. It is, um, poor thing. And how old are you now? I'm 31. 31, you poor thing. What's it like being that young? It must be dreadful. <laughs> oh, that's so shocking. Oh, God. I love it. I love it. But um, thank in you. the 80s. Oh, boy, you poor thing. I wish I wish I was of your age. I, trust me, I, I feel like I was born in the wrong era. <laughs> Well, a lot of people say that, you know, I was, we were, people in my era, we were lucky and we really enjoy it. I got to tell you, you know, we're doing um, Days on a Green or, you know, these um, pure gold shows with a whole lot of different artists and everybody walks around going, it's pretty cool. We're their mates and we're all playing the music we love and we've been around for a long time. It's a good feeling. I bet, I bet. And it's, it's amazing that you've, you've got that life. You've been doing it for 40 years and I don't see any sign of you guys stopping. No, no, no. Oh, God, I just died. No, <laughs> eventually, not now. Thanks a lot, Kathy. Thank you so much, Mark. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.